The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. And we began to talk about what we would do for the fall. Dave Tate, Tim Cartwright, and Gary DeSalvo and I are in a room together, and we began to talk about different things. And one of the things that came up was the life of an Old Testament saint. And Gary said, you know, I haven't done Life of Abraham in a long time. Let's do that. So we began to think about what that would look like. And I can see God's hand of grace on us as I look back at that. Because right now, Abraham is this central figure in lots of people's faith. He's really, really important to the 16 million Jews who call him Father Abraham. 1.8 billion Muslims would say that Ibrahim or Abraham is their father. In fact, when they just had Eid and they went and did the Hajj in Mecca, there's a rock that they say is a, a rock from the moon that Abraham and Ishmael discovered together. Abram and Sarai would have grown up in this area of Ur where many people worshipped the moon based on their names perhaps they did before they began to follow God. And then 2.1 billion people who name the name of Jesus say that we are sons of Abraham through faith in Christ Jesus. This father, Abraham had many sons. But 1,000 years ago, he was a 75-year-old man with a wife and no child. And though his name, Abram, meant exalted father, there was nothing exalted about his life. His wife was barren. That was a sign of a curse from the gods in ancient culture. And so they were hopeless at their age for offspring. And they would have been about seven miles southwest of Al-Nasriya, Iraq. You can see the ziggurats, ruins of Ur, the Chaldeans, where they lived. So we enter into this journey with Abraham in a moment of hopelessness. We're going to look in Genesis 11 at the end of that chapter. You can turn there and go into Genesis 12 today as we look at the call of Abraham, really the beginning of God's people. And the circumstances in which God calls Abram could not be more desolate. Now these are the generations, Genesis eleven twenty seven of Terah. These are the generations of Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot, and Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Ron, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. You jump to 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Well, God, we come to you in Jesus' name, just confessing our great need for you in a moment that feels somewhat barren. God, we need your word to speak power and purpose and presence and promise to us today. So would you speak through your word? 
In Jesus' name, amen. So you're just reading through this genealogy. It's telling you everybody's names. And then Sarah was barren. She had no child. Now some of you are in this room today and you're 75 years old and you know you can't have any kids and you are going, praise Jesus. <laughs> and see, that's not the case for Abram and Sarah. She's barren and she's embarrassed and so is he. And their life is desolate. One author says it this way, Barrenness is not only the condition of hopeless humanity, but it's the marvel of biblical faith that barrenness is the arena of God's life-giving action. This family begins its life in a situation of irreparable hopelessness. And see, this barrenness is not only a personal tragedy for Sarah and Abram, but it's a picture of our lives without Jesus. Ephesians tells us that before the Word and work of God came through Christ, we were without God and without hope in the world. But God sent Jesus to give life to all who believe. He brought life to a barren situation just like He's going to bring life to this barren situation that Abram and Sarah are in. So what we're going to see for Abram, this exalted father, is that God gives one call and He tells Abram to leave three things. And then He gives seven promises. And there's been intro. The garden happened. God creates. The fall happens. And then God gives a grace and covers Adam and Eve. And then the intro story of the Bible continues and it goes downhill to where the heart of man is continually evil all the time. And so this flood comes and destroys the earth and God had told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then He tells Noah again after the flood, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But then the people in Babel, they don't want to fill the earth. They say in Genesis 11.4, come, let us build a city for ourselves and build a tower that reaches to the heavens and make a name for ourselves so that we may not be dispersed. Just continuing to go downhill. And for this man and his wife, they're in a barren situation. And then this happens. God speaks. Now the Lord said to Abram. The Lord said to Abram. And when God speaks, it overwhelms and overthrows the hopelessness of a barren situation just as it does for us. Today we're looking at Genesis 12 when God gives Abram this specific command and blessing, but they're going to have more conversations. Can you imagine what these conversations must have been like? You're going to be the father of many nations. What in the world are you talking about, God? Well, you've been around people who worship the moon. Well, let me just tell you, I hung that moon. I put it in place and I make light reflect off the sun to it so that it gives light at night and I make it spin around the earth in this perfect sequence every 28 days. Abram, if you can imagine, if you can count the stars in the sky, so shall your offspring be. Well, God, how in the world would I ever count those stars? Well, guess what, Abram? I've counted them. I know them by name. I put them in place and I make gas that sustains their light every night. Abram, if you could count the sand on the seashore, so will your offspring be. How in the world could you count the sand on the seashore? Our two youngest kids went to a school last year that had a sand playground. 
And after about two days, we realized you take your shoes off before you come in the house. Because you, I mean, they, my youngest weighs about 30 pounds, but you would dump his shoes out and it would be a sandbag of 80 pounds every day. And you couldn't count those. God, how could I count the sand on the seashore? Listen, Abram, I designed every grain and I'm the one who's speaking. So this promise maker, God, and this promise keeper speaks into this barren situation and Abram had better pay attention and so should we when God speaks. And so God calls Abram to go. He says, go from your country. Okay, you want me to leave where I live? I can go from my country. Go from your kindred. Wait, God, you want me to leave my family too? Go from your father's house. He is calling Abram and Sarai. They're going to take their nephew Lot, but they're going to leave all they know and love. Because the Lord said to Abram, go. The Lord said to Abram, go. One author says this, the shocking immensity of God's command and the agonizing nature of Abram's decision are indicated by the ascending order of Abram's personal sacrifice your country and your kindred and your father's house. You're going to leave all you know and love. And then it's further complicated by the vagueness of this command. Go to the land I will show you. Hear me when I say it and I'm going to say it again. One of the most beautiful things and one of the most difficult things about Christianity and a culture that worships knowledge is that God will absolutely call us to believe Him and to step out in faith in moments that we don't know the outcome. One of the most difficult things and one of the most beautiful things about Christianity is that God will absolutely call us to believe and step out in faith when we don't know. God says, go to the land I will show you. And Abram does just what you and I will do. Hey, that's a great God, but if you'll just tell me where it is, I'll plug it into Google Maps and we can find out. I can't imagine doing this today, much less 4,000 years ago. One of my nieces, great young lady, her name's Peyton, she's a pre-med major at Auburn, headed into her senior year at Auburn about three weeks ago. She's headed back to school because she does some, uh, some things for the school beforehand, and she gets to Auburn, six-hour drive away from Pensacola, and she realizes she just forgot one thing, her clothes, <laughs> all of them, except what she had on. So when I saw it, I said, Peyton, a lot of people are going to hear about that one day. <laughs> now, I, I did the math. So sister, three-hour drive, Peyton met, that's no big deal. But if you walk from Pensacola to Auburn, 73-hour walk. Can you imagine Abram and Sarah and Lot and all that? They get away, they're about a two-week walk away, and they go, oh, we, we forgot food. Well, we just go to H-E-B right around the corner, right? From what I hear, farmers' markets, there weren't a lot of them in the Arabian desert 4,000 years ago. And God says, go to the land I will show you. This is an immense command, but the promises God gives Abram when he speaks overwhelm the immensity of the command. And he just begins to tell Abram, you go to the land I will show you and listen to what I'm going to do. Listen to what I'm going to do. I will make of you a great nation. Well, how in the world are you going to do that? I'm 75. My wife's 65. We know how these things work, and she is barren. I'll make of you a great nation. See, the people in Babel, they had their plan to make their own city. 
and disobedience to God and their plans failed, but God can take barrenness and make something beautiful. He's going to make many nations out of this barren situation. I will make of you a great nation. I'll make of you a great nation. And then he says, I will bless you. See, often we try to get ahead of God and we run and we want to build for ourselves like the people in Babel wanted to build for themselves. Let us build for ourselves a city and a tower. And God says, I will bless you. The Hebrew word Baruch, I'm going to put my hand of favor and grace on your life. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. God continues. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. The people of Babel said, let us make a name for ourselves. They're trying to do what they want to do outside the power and the purpose and the presence of God. And that is a journey that is going to fail for them. Their language is going to be confused and they will be scattered. But God says of Abram, I will make your name great, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This is one of the most important pieces of Scripture because when God blesses us, He blesses us so that we will be a blessing. It's an important part of God's plan for Old Testament Israel. It's an important part of His plan for New Testament God's people, the church, because He blesses us so that we will bless the nations. God is calling Abram. He's choosing him. He's choosing his family. He's choosing his people. And is He saving them? Yes. But He's also choosing them to be the vehicle through which blessing comes to the nations, namely through Abram's offspring, not Jacob or not Isaac, but Jesus. The nations are going to be blessed. Salvation is married to vocation for the people of God. So when God saves a people, He works through that people. He saves from sin and wrath. He saves two good works. Titus 2.14 says that Jesus died to purify for Himself a people zealous for good works. He blesses us so that we will be a blessing. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. So this call to salvation is a call to vocation. Then he says, those who bless you I will bless and the one who dishonors you I will curse. God is marrying himself and his purposes to Abram. And he says, we're together. You're going to be mine. I'm going to be your God. And I'm going to watch out for you. I'm going to care for you. My promises, my power, my presence, and my provision are going to be yours. And he says, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. See, the the people at Babel, they said, lest we be dispersed. And they've been told, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, but let us make a name for ourselves and build a tower lest we be dispersed. God says, in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's like that great theologian Skeeter Jenkins says, right? A blessing is not just about what you get, it's also about what you give. And And God is not just the promise maker. He's the promise keeper. Here's the promise made. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what does that promise kept look like? Well, Galatians says it looks like this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that's you and me, 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. How did he preach the gospel to Abraham? Thank you for asking. He did it when he said, And you shall all nations or all families or tribes and tongues be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abram, the man of faith. So the fact that we are in Christ... That's an answer to God's promise to Abram. And what's beautiful is that the promise doesn't stop with us any more than it stops with Abram. It was to go to the nations. And it's gone to you and me, but it also goes through you and me. One of the beautiful things about Temple Bible Church is this is a church that has blessed the nations from its beginning. I knew a long time ago, before it was even Temple Bible Church, when it was Temple Bible Chapel, This church supported Charlie and Vivian Stoner and two other families. I think the Stoners are here this hour. Are you guys here, Charlie and Vivian? If if you are, stand up. Where are you? You guys here? Where where are you at? There they are, way in the back, hiding back there. That's Charlie and Vivian Stoner. Listen, I, I love Charlie and he loves me. We get each other's sense of humor and that makes two of us. I told them because we're talking about Abraham and they went to school together, I was going to make fun of how old he is. And uh, when Charlie leaves a museum, alarm goes off. That's how old he is, right? He watches the History Channel so he can see if he's on. I said, Charlie, how long, how long did Temple Bible Church, how long have, have we partnered with you in ministry? And Charlie keeps pretty good records. So he emailed me back a day later and he said, Temple Bible Church supported the Stoners from 1972, or Temple Bible Chapel, to 1976 with $259.55. In 1976, that went up to $10 a month. In 1981, $100 every three months. And then the, the support grew as their ministry grew. And then Charlie says at the bottom of his email, three things I observed praising God about the Stoners' long partnership with TBC. As TBC grew, so did the Stoners' missionary support from the church. As the stoner's support needs increased, so did TBC's support amount. And now, over nine years into retirement, that just means they came back from Brazil. Now they're just missionaries to Temple Bible Church. Teach a Sunday school class, work with the pace setters, work in a small group. They're just serving Jesus. Nine years into retirement, Charlie says, this encouraging partnership continues. See, the This church has been a blessing to the nations and we want to continue to be a blessing to the nations. So now we focus hard among the least reach and we partner with others who are doing so. We we talked to Pavel Marchuk this week. Danny, our executive pastor, had him on Skype on his phone just walking through the offices saying hello to our pastors. And and our sister churches in Ukraine are now taking the gospel to Tajikistan and they're working with local believers in Tajikistan to take the gospel to their nation just as we've worked with them in Ukraine. This last month, we began to support Merrick Reyes as he takes the gospel to Israel and the Ames family as they go to Papua New Guinea. See, we've been privileged to see God keeping His promise to Abram in our midst and in the midst of our partners, and we want to continue. God says, I will bless you, and in you all the nations shall be blessed. And those who are of faith are the sons of Abram or Abraham. So how does Abraham respond to this blessing? There's the stoners. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. He, he went. 
So Abram went, and this is a life of faith, transformational belief that leads to a lifelong journey with God. Abram went because he believed, not because he knew. He heard God speak. He believes before he knows. And we'll see this played out over and over and over in his life and in the lives of those who follow Jesus. Again, we worship knowledge. One of the most difficult things and one of the most beautiful things in the life of a follower of Jesus is that God is absolutely going to call you to go into things and to believe before you know. You want me to do what? You want me to move where? Maybe it's not a call to go, but a call to love. You want me to love who? God, you want me to trust you in the midst of what? See, it's not that faith never has any doubts. Faith without doubt, well, that's knowledge. Just like the disciples in the Great Commission, sometimes we waver, sometimes we doubt. But then in a skeptical culture where doubt is upheld as heroic, if you always doubt and never believe, you'll never come to knowledge of anything. So God says, believe before you know. We come to Him with our questions as Isaiah did, and sometimes God has questions that He asks back. You want me to believe before I know, but God, what about this? How in the world? And maybe God's answer is that who has measured the water in the hollow of His hand and marked off the heavens with a span, who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Well, it's God. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord or what man shows Him His counsel? Nobody. Whom did He consult and who made Him understand? Nobody. Who taught Him the path of justice and taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? Nobody. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will compare with Him? Nobody or nothing. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. There's nobody. See, Abram on this journey, there are going to be days and seasons where he's exhausted, he's faint-hearted, his belief is weak. Have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And Abram's going to walk this journey of faith, carried along by the promise and the power and the presence of God. And he's going to believe before he knows. So Abram went. So Abram went. As the Lord told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. Verse 4 says, When he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions. They did not forget their clothes. And the people that they had acquired in Haran... And when they set out to go to the land of Canaan, and when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land at the place, to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. 
This is a place where pagans worshipped their false gods. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. See, Abram went and Abram worshipped. You read the Bible before Genesis 12 and you see altar used one time in the life of Abram. You're going to see it used four times. He begins to worship. This altar is a place where sacrifice is made, where surrender is made. Abram went and he worshipped. Verse 8, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel which is known as the house of God. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. And we hear that and we read it in English and we go, oh, so he prayed. But hear me, in ancient Near East, this is language cults would have used. It's religious language that is to say, he called on him as life giver. He's putting his hope, he's putting his trust in this God who is the promise maker and who is going to be the promise keeper. And so he builds an an altar of sacrifice and surrender. And listen, such is the life of faith. Ten chapters later, Abram's going to trust God and he's going to build another altar. And he's going to walk up a mountain with his son. And he is going to see the provision of God in ways that he never would have imagined. So Abram is walking with the promise maker and the promise keeper. And as he walks, he worships. And Abram journeyed on. Abram journeyed on. When God said go, Abram went, and wherever he went, he worshipped. So what do we learn from the life of Abram today as we begin this journey through his life in Genesis? Abram is, is kind of a prototype for all disciples in that he's imperfect and then that he's going to go somewhere and trust God. Faith, faith is the life that he lived. So for him, it meant he's on a journey A literal journey for us, for most of us. It's a figurative journey, but it's a journey of faith where we're worshiping God in the process. And so over the next several months, we're going to watch God speak and act into this barren and hopeless situation that Abram and Sarah are in. And we're going to see their faith lived out. But here's what we've got to be careful of. We can read this story and we can make Abram the hero of the story and we can think the story is about him and it's his idea and about his reputation when in actuality this is not the story of Abram this is the beginning of the story of God's people which is to say it's the story of God the promise maker and the promise keeper is the hero of this story and we look at stories like this sometimes and we try to find ourselves When in reality, we need to be looking to find God because when we find Him and begin to walk with Him, it's only then do we understand who we were made to be. And the reality is, most lives of faith, people aren't reading about 4,000 years later. Most lives of faith are lived in obscurity. Yes, there are these Isaac on Mount Moriah moments. There are these covenant moments, but there are lots of days of walking in sandy wilderness, not knowing where God's leading, but trusting. I, 
I learned about one of these lives lived in obscurity just a few weeks ago. My friend Gladys called me and asked me if I would go and pray with her prayer partner who was sick and near the end of her life. Her name was Elnora Smiley. She'd been part of TVC for about 11 years, but, but because of sickness, hadn't been able to come. So yeah, I said, I'll go and I'll, I'll pray with Miss Smiley. This is a picture of Miss Smiley. So I went to pray with Miss Smiley and I began to visit with her and I knew Gladys was very serious about prayer and so I thought Miss Smiley must be, and she said, thanks for coming to pray for me. And I said, well, I'd really like to pray with you, because Gladys tells me you've been praying for Temple Bible Church. And she said, yeah, I've been here. She'd been here for about the last 11 years. And, and as a, someone who is older, she felt like something that she could do was cry out to God. And she just kind of said off the cuff, I learned early on in life, I was going to need to cry out to God, and I could watch Him act and do His work. Okay, that's great. So she would go out in the woods by her house. She would pray with Miss Skinner, but then alone, she'd go out in the woods by her house almost every day and spend time crying out to God for Temple Bible Church. So I visited with Miss Smiley and was privileged to pray with her and got a call about a week later that she had passed away. And I just said to Miss Skinner, I said, I'd love to send flowers to Miss Smiley. Where's her her funeral going to be? And she said, oh, she didn't. She didn't grow up here, so it's going to be in Selma, Alabama, where she grew up. So I started connecting the dots of that conversation. I learned early in life I was going to need to cry out to God. And she was born in 1950 in Selma, Alabama. So in 1965, when Bloody Sunday hit, Miss Smiley would have been a sophomore in high school. I learned early on in life I was going to need to cry out to God. So here's this life lived in obscurity in Selma, Alabama, and Temple, Texas, trusting in God, crying out to Him, and watching Him work through a church she was praying for. That's one example. Another example is there are a bunch of, a bunch of old guys that gather every other Thursday to pray for TBC's missionaries. And one of, our, one of our staff members was there with them and snapped a picture that they don't know he took. And they meet every other Thursday. And you see, there's maybe one guy in there without gray hair. They are old, in case they're listening. (laughs) But listen, these guys spend an hour every other Thursday, and I know they do it alone as well when they're at home, just crying out to God. And these are faithful men who have been faithful men in this church, and they'll serve however they are asked to serve, and they'll share however they're asked to share, but they know that this life of faith is lived in these private moments that I just got this secret glimpse into. See, the life of faith is one lived in obscurity that's trusting God when nobody is watching. Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. It's not going to be perfect. In fact, we'll see of Abram, he had many, many imperfections. But it's this life of being carried along. That's a life of faith, a long obedience in the same direction. So first, Abram's a prototypical and that he lives a life of faith. And then second, he's a prototypical disciple and that God calls him to lay aside everything he has to follow. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Leave everything you know and love to the land I will show you. And Jesus, Jesus just shortly before his death, he's describing to his disciples that they've got to count the cost of following him. You've got to consider the cost of what this looks like and at the 
end of his statements, he says, So therefore, if any of you does not renounce all you have, you cannot be my disciple. It's a call to lay down our lives. It's a call to lay down our lives and to trust Him. And here's the reality. As a follower of Jesus, there may be, there may be something you know God is directing you to that scares you to death, and you think, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I need more details. And He says, follow me. You go to this land, I will show you. Or maybe you're here and you're hearing this truth about the God of Abram and you want to know more about this God. And here's the truth about this God. This God who loved Abram, loves you, and He loves me so much so that He didn't just put the stars in the sky so we could see evidence of His greatness. He didn't just hang the moon or design the sand on the seashores. He did something far more amazing. He condescended and came down to earth as a human being who was tempted in every way as we are, but never sinned. And this Jesus died and took the full punishment for your sins and my sins upon Himself so that we could have life and walk this journey of faith, relationship to this God who speaks. And the reality is that it's only by walking in faith, it's only by trusting Him that you can ever actually know that He is God. Are there evidences of this faith? Yes, there are many, but it's only by grace through faith that you can trust Him. See, Abram went, and we're told in Hebrews that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. And so Galatians tells us those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we are these people of faith. So right now, maybe you as an individual, maybe you as a family, maybe we as a church are gazing up into an unknown. And we see a lot of darkness. And culture would tell us, you've got to find yourself and find your purpose and figure out what your story is going to be. But here's what we're going to find out as we walk this journey with Abraham. That the story we're in is not our story either. It's God's story. And so when we look to Him, that's when we understand who we're made to be. And as we do, then in turn we learn more about who God is and we learn more about His purpose and His power and His presence and His promises and His provision. And He is calling us into this story for His glory and for our good and for the good of others as we live in surrender and community and mission as the people of God known as Temple Bible Church. Let's pray. Father, we need You. We need You today. And we give You praise, God, that You are not just the promise maker. You are the promise keeper. And nothing is too difficult for You. So God, as we begin together corporately to study the Word and walk this journey of faith with Abram, who will become Abraham, the father of many nations, Lord, let us live as those 
through whom you would bless the nations, through whom you would bless our neighborhoods, through whom you would bless our workplaces, and through whom you would bless our families. For it is those who are faith are the sons of Abraham. So God, let us walk as the children of Abraham as we trust Christ and even become not just the children of Abraham, but through your love you tell us that we are in fact your children. So God, may our lives be an aroma. May they be little shining lights in the midst of darkness as we walk this journey of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.